happy Monday, everybody. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline, including a guest who is a host of the show. Uh, yeah, something's going on. What's going on here? Oh, Henri. Yeah, uh, we have a return of Fitz Lightning, although he has not yet been struck by lightning. It's not really a laughing matter, but trying to make a radio show when someone's been shoveling water out of their home all day and then attempts to connect using technology and just <laughs> is difficult. But Fitz, maybe, is here on the phone? Yeah, well, you know, this is called living the dream. This is called creative thinking by uh, by you, really is I have no idea how we're pulling this off. But, you know, we got to be together. We haven't been together in forever. And Henri, uh, although, you know, I don't, th- I don't think he deserves a fancy title. I'm just going to call him Henry, uh, mm-hmm. doesn't deserve that kind of love. Like, Henry came after my house hard, and uh, I don't appreciate the water that he's trying to put inside my home. I also don't appreciate the technology issues he's provided. But we're still going to get to talk about football one way or the other. Certainly would imagine you also don't appreciate the people who reinstalled your windows in backwards. Yeah, well, you know, it turns out they did a really nice job when they, they put the house, to, when they flipped the house. They just forgot some basic things that you're supposed to put around windows to keep water from getting inside homes. So that's helpful whenever it rains and there's wind at the same time. So it's good. Like, I, I feel like what I need to do is get myself a good Noah costume and then just start teaming them up every time it rains in Connecticut. Brief aside, and it's Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio. Brief aside on that, uh, when you uh, face the repercussions of poor construction, I sang Donna Summer's Last Dance in my high school talent show, and the tech crew accidentally loaded the stairs upside down, so the wide part was vertical and the short part was horizontal, and I was wearing giant platform heels and a disco dress while singing while walking down the stairs, and I absolutely bit it in the dress rehearsal. Uh, So, yeah. That craftsmanship matters, Fitz. You know, it's the, it's the little details that make the difference between <laughs> water staying outside and water really coming Inside in. But the nice news is I can, I can bath in my, bathe in my living room whenever I'm ready. <laughs> and it's probably something you're used to being from the South. Boom! Oh, Joke yeah. about yeah. Southerners. Yeah. Nailed it. There we go. There <laughs> and we're we back. go. And we're back together. Hey, speaking of back together, we have some interesting... Uh, a controversy to discuss, which is that your football team tried to take some givebacks uh, on Khalil Mack. Let's talk about this, Fitz. There is a story going around that the Raiders reached out to the Bears and they were like, hey, remember when we uh, traded you that awesome guy, Khalil Mack? Can we have him back? What do you have to say for your shoddy team? Yeah, well, look, and credit to Vic Taper at The Athletic for breaking this report, but what this really tells me is that the God complex for, uh, for John Gruden is real. Like, he does not care what anybody <laughs> thinks about any decision he makes. He just walks in one day and is like, we're going whole pot in on trading Khalil Mack. And then a couple of years later, he's like, I like this Mack guy. I think he should come play for our team right now. Like, John Gruden does not care what anybody thinks. Yeah, have y'all seen this Mac guy? I heard he's good. I don't know why I just gave him a southern accent. Uh, yeah, they wanted to get Mac back, and uh, the would have 
triggered a cap charge for the Bears in excess of $20 million because of his signing bonus and some restructuring. Uh, and, and according to one of the stories, it's unclear whether they simply hung up the phone or actually responded, <laughs> which I love. Uh, sorry, fella. No Mac for you. Uh, there's other Bears news, but let's quickly shift gears because Cam Newton is kind of making the biggest headlines today. A misunderstanding on COVID-19 deaths conducted away from NFL facilities are the re- reason for him to be away from the team until Thursday. This fits comes in the midst of us being reminded on a daily basis that the competition between him and Mac Jones is real. Now, everything I've heard is that Bill Belichick really wants to give Cam as long of a leash as he can to earn the starting job, to be a great leader, and to give Mac Jones extra time. But this isn't going to help. Yeah, and there's got to be a real conversation from the team, every team right now, to every player, because thank God, if you're the Patriots, this is the preseason. But how does this happen? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we live in a world now where, for example, when it comes to the supplements that NFL teams uh, give out, if you want to put something in your body, you can walk into the team first and say, I'm thinking of taking this, and they'll test it and tell you if it's okay. At this point, we're really at the spot where if you're going to seek medical attention, how do you not sit down with your team first and say, I'm going over here. Any rules and regulations I need to know about it? I mean, we even deal with that in what we do. Like, I, I have to travel this week for ESPN. So the first thing I, I did when I found out I had to travel was ask, okay, what are the constraints? What do I have to do? And how do I have to do it? I, I'm a little stunned that a player would put themselves in that situation, that the team wouldn't communicate better. And now all of a sudden it raises a question about Mac Jones getting extra reps and extra momentum. Also raises a reminder about his previous statements, Cam Newton, that is, on vaccinations, where he declined comment and said it's a personal matter. We've seen pretty much that most people who say that are not vaccinated, and according to the protocols, Tier 1 and Tier 2 players are exempt from daily testing and allowed to travel if they've received the vaccine. The fact that Cam is subject to the five-day entry cadence process before he can come back to the facility would indicate that likely he is not, which is a question, along with Cousins and all sorts of other players, Uh, that can be had within the confines of their locker room and team, but also that we certainly can discuss and how it might affect them during the regular season if something comes up. It does change your ability to be there for your team if you are not vaccinated. Spain and Fitz Air Spain. Jason Fitz, we're going to have Fitz as often as we can tonight, but uh, Zutalor Henri is causing some troubles with technology. So some of the show is going to be solo Spain. Some of it's going to have Fitz involved. It's going to be fantastic either way. Let's quickly touch on the Justin Fields, Andy Dalton stuff. Everybody's talking about it, Fitz. And I am not the one who's going to yell and scream at you either way. I can completely understand those who believe that Justin Fields' mobility makes him a better option behind a shoddy offensive line and that if he's the better quarterback, you go ahead and get him in there. I also agree and tend to side with the idea that I don't need to see him in there week one against the Rams with that offensive line not having reps together and with him having the jitters of a first-year quarterback if it could put him in danger. I'm okay with Andy Dalton being the guy for a game or two or whatever until they feel completely confident that mentally and physically Justin Fields is the guy. That being said, the mental side of things went way up for me when I saw how Justin Fields handled preseason game two, a.k.a. the Mitch Trubisky revenge game where good old Maserati Mitch came in and looked like a superstar. And Andy Dalton got booed by the fans who wanted uh, to see Justin Fields. Here's what Justin Fields said. Just 22 rookie QB in the presser Saturday about rooting for Andy Dalton when he's in the game. 
I feel a, a sense to uh, be there for my teammates when they need me. So um, as long as Andy's in the game, I'm going to be rooting for Andy and, uh, you know, hoping that, you know, we put up 100 points a game. But, you know, when I do go in the game, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to do the same thing. And, um, you know, what I think what the fans have to realize is we're on the same team. And then he followed that up by a very specific and I think extremely smart answer about fans cheering for him. We want Justin while Dalton's on the field. I noticed it. Um, of course, you know, the fans are awesome uh, getting me out there, but they also have to realize, you know, Andy's a human being too. Um, Andy's out there on the field right now. So I really just think it's kind of disrespectful to Andy, uh, you know, them cheering, cheering my name out like that. And, um, you know, they have to, you know, trust in coach to, you know, make sure he's making the right decisions and, um, you know, just cheer Andy on. Like there's no, that's not helping Andy uh, play better than cheering my name. That's, that's not doing none of that. So, um, you know, uh, I would say, you know, my, my advice to them would be just cheer uh, for, for who's out there playing on the field. So smart fits to me. Just uh, 22 years old, handled yeah. it perfectly. And, and I keep thinking about how happy I was for you on draft night because I think Justin Fields is, was so underrated coming in. And then you see these moments and it reminds you of what he's ready for. I mean, he's ready for everything that comes with being the Bears starting quarterback. And by the way, He's right. I mean, as everybody looks around, the goal here is to have the best quarterback win the job, not have the guy given the job because another guy stinks. Like, the goal here is to have the, the cream rise to the top, which I think we all agree is going to happen. The question is just when. So the best-case scenario for everybody involved in my mind is for Andy Dalton to play so well that it's great for the Bears and it makes it really difficult. But, man, we really got to put fields in right now. Like, that's the win for everybody uh, across the way. The win is not looking at your starting quarterback and figuring out that you just think he's hot garbage and you want to see Justin Fields <laughs> right. right now. And certainly not booing him and calling for the other. I understand those fans probably wanted to be able to say we saw Justin Fields in one of his first games. But, you know, taking it on an Andy Dalton and in any way affecting his confidence doesn't do well for your team. And that needs to be the focus, just like Justin Fields said. Be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Look at that. I go out of town for a couple days. We got new reads. We got new sponsors. Let's do it, Dr. Pepper. Coming up, a lot of takes this weekend. What was good? What was hot? Coming up next on Spain and Fitz. I'm back. I'm back on the air after a little vacation, and I'm back to uh, just the usual. Jason Fitz's house being attacked by various natural events. Uh, he is not yet Fitz Lightning, as far as I know. He has uh, remained remained uh, unaffected by lightning strikes, but his house is filled with water, and he's joining us on the phone. So we're making good... Uh, with whatever we can here on Spain and Fitz tonight. It's sort of solo Sarah Spain with a little bit of Fitz sprinkled in. I guess I shouldn't say sprinkled too soon when Fitz's house is covered in sprinkles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my bad about that. But we have lots to talk about from this weekend. Lots of NFL action. And the way we do it around here once football season starts is a little something we call good take, hot take. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes. Hot takes. Give the damn ball and let him decide. But that's not the Green Bay way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. That's right. We are the final arbiters of whether something is good or hot. Sometimes good and hot, actually. But we're going to start with Dak Prescott. And I want to take you back just a, a week or so ago. When we heard that the Cowboys were adamant about wanting to see Dak Prescott 
in a preseason game. Obviously, the guy has been in the system for a long time, but between the arm issues and the ankle that he's recovering from, new pieces, they just thought it would be useful to see him in a little preseason action, and they made that publicly known, which they may regret now because it's possible that he's not going till week one. No big deal. A lot of starting quarterbacks don't see action till week one. But in the case of Dak, we heard they wanted to see it. So Todd Archer, ESPN Cowboys reporter, was on game night Saturday night. He said he's not worried about Dak. He'll be playing September 9th against Tampa Bay, so it, it doesn't concern me very much. It might concern the Cowboys because they did want to get him some playing time in the preseason when they started training camp. But obviously the shoulder has been a setback for him. But he threw 46 to 50 passes here in pregame warm-ups. Uh, early pregame warm-ups tonight. Mike McCarthy said after the game there was no issues at all with any pain, and they'll continue to ramp him up. And when they start practicing here again in a couple of days, they anticipate him doing more and more. And by the time they get to Tampa Bay prep week, he'll be doing everything again. Fitz, good take or hot take to say you're not worried about Dak not seeing practice or uh, preseason time? Well, I think it's a bit of a hot take just because in the NFL world, they don't give you any information that they don't want you to have, right? And everybody's so guarded in the first place. So for the Cowboys to even give a hint that they would like to see him in the preseason has to have meaning. So if that wasn't a hot take, then the fact that he's not playing now has to be a hot take to, to that to not have meaning. I mean, obviously we all understand that it's the regular season that matters, but not to get any view of who Dak is right now. And let's understand that it's, this is a different injury that's plaguing him now. I mean, I think when you start to add all of this up, it's at least it's a point of concern for how physically ready he will be for week one. So that suddenly makes it a hot take to, to think that no one's worried that we haven't seen anything. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. I'm going to go hot on this one, mainly because it's reminding me, and I don't want this to be the case for Dak, but it's reminding me a little bit of all the conversation around Andrew Luck, right? It just was like, eh, it's not quite right. Oh, we're going to need a little more time. Mm, he's not quite ready yet. And that was disastrous for the Colts. I mean, that was a very serious injury that kept him out a long time. It's not that the the progress made by Dak and his ability to throw in practice, that certainly helps. I just feel like this started out with a tweak, then it became longer, then it became we'll see him in the preseason, now it's week one. I'm keeping an eye on the situation. Todd Archer might not be concerned. I am a little concerned about it. All right, it's good take, hot take. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We got two takes going back-to-back on Joe Burrow on Get Up Today, Dan Orlovsky, Sam Acho were asked whether he can fix the Bengals. Sam Acho was pretty short and sweet about it. Yeah, I, I think it potentially opens the nope, door. Nope, the this other is one a... is Sam Acho. Yep. If, if, if I was given the opportunity... Nope, that's Orlovsky. We should have. I, I saw the last game. There. They had 60 yards of total offense in the first half and two first downs. One of them came in the last few seconds of the first half, number one. Number two, Zach Taylor is handicapped by their management. Mike Brown, the owner, is not a good owner. The Bengals aren't going to win anytime soon. I don't care how good Joe Burrow is. All right, Fitz, is that being too harsh on the Bengals? Yeah, I think that's actually a hot take because I think Joe Burrow transcends. Like, there are certain players that are so good, you can't screw them up. And no matter how much the Bengals might try, this is a Bengals team that actually had some talent last year. They just had a dreadful, awful, pathetic offensive line. And frankly, they tried to address that this year. So while Mike Brown and the Cincinnati Bengals may try not to spend money, that doesn't mean that they haven't actually been able to put talent on that roster. I I think the Bengals are poised to take a step forward. I'm a big believer in Joe Burrow. So I think that that it's a hot take by Acho that they can't win just because of management. I'm going to say good and hot. 
okay? And this is how I'm hedging my bets here, okay? I think it's a good take to say that Zach Taylor and that team can only do so much if ownership is not actually invested in winning, which has been the problem with this team for a long time. And I just don't know what the ceiling is for a team if ownership doesn't care that much about W's and L's. It's a hot take in the sense that I do think on the field, Joe Burrow can do a lot. I'm not looking at preseason snaps to decide for me whether or not they could put something together. To your point, they've tried on the offensive line. I think we have to give them more of a shot in the regular season to see what they can do on the field. Dan Orlovsky, same segment, definitely agreed more with us on the idea that Burrow's got the talent to get something done. Yeah, I, I think it potentially opens the door. This is a really, really close quarterback battle. And to Cam's credit, like, if, if, if I was given the opportunity to buy stock in a young player in the NFL, Joe Burrow is at the very top of my list. I said this last year. He, the only quarterback that I would take above him that's a young player would have been Deshaun Watson. I think this dude is that special with his ability to never panic with the football, his ball location, his athleticism. We got to, like, hold on. This football team and organization is not that far away from being pretty darn good. I mean, 2011 to 2015, they went to the playoffs five years in a row. They're four years from removed from winning 12 games. And this is a player that went to LSU and then became the greatest college quarterback season ever, one of the greatest offenses we've ever seen in college football. And so they just got to get back to drafting really well. They had a stretch where they drafted really well. Those players got a little bit old. But I th- listen, I, I'm a, as big a Joe Burrow fan as you can get. And the, if anybody is going to resurrect them, Baker Mayfield said it. If anyone was going to resurrect the Cleveland Browns, it was going to be Baker Mayfield. If anyone is going to, again, somewhat resurrect, because I don't think they're that far removed from success, the Cincinnati Bengals, it is Joe Burrow. I will. All right, we got the right take this time. Fitz, good or hot? Yeah, no, I think it's a good take. And I love his example of Baker Mayfield. We forget a lot of times that no matter how bad a franchise is, it takes one Peyton Manning to suddenly make the Colts relevant. And uh, I, I think that the, the, the Bengals have found the closest thing they're going to find to a Peyton Manning out of Burrow. I completely agree. I have a lot of confidence in Burrow. I also like that he brought up how many times they made the playoffs. We think about the Bengals as a failure because they don't win those playoff games, but they have to make the playoffs, and we haven't seen that from a whole lot of other teams that consistently. It's Spain and Fitz brought to you by My Computer Career, Training for a Better Life. We'll do more good take, hot take later. Also, some fantasy football league talk. We're going to ask you at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, how we should pick our final league member. So check it out on Twitter and vote. Coming up. We're going to go camping. Maybe we'll bite off some kneecaps. I don't know. It's that kind of day here at Spain and Fitz. Coming up next. Welcome back to a sort of solo Spain. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Hurricane Henri flooding Fitz's house. So he's calling in by phone for a couple segments the rest of the time. You've got me talking all things Monday NFL Lots of uh, great basketball stuff this weekend to get to, too. Some friends of the show had a pretty big weekend. We'll get into it. But first, we got to go camping. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz. That's right. We're going camping with the Lions. ESPN Lions reporter Eric Woodyard joins us on the Goodyear Hotline. Going to give us the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Eric, thanks for the time. Let's start with what I feel is a changing Dan Campbell experience. It started mostly with 
jokes and a lot of side eye over the biting of kneecaps. Some are still in that phase. I think others have evolved into thinking he's interesting and fun and maybe someone you could get behind. Where are we at in general on the Dan Campbell experience? <laughs> well, I'm here in Detroit, so I think the, the uh, feedback has been pretty receptive, especially if you compare him to the first coach. So I think uh, it's been an enjoyable experience, especially from a media perspective. It seems like he's giving us something every single day. So I'm almost showing up just to see what he's going to say. So it's been fun so far. <laughs> oh, I'm not surprised at all to hear the media is a fan. That is content for days. Uh, and when you compare to Matt Patricia, certainly a different attitude and vibe. Whether it'll work on the field, yet to be seen. I'm a little suspect post, uh, uh, you know, kneecap biting, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. We'll see what happens. We also need to see what happens with Jared Goff. Very strange to imagine a Lions team without Matt Stafford. He was an institution. It felt like more than just football to his role with the team. How different is it at camp and in preseason without Matt Stafford? It's definitely weird. And even before camp started, I went to go cover. Um, it was a, It was a football camp you know, that one of the players had, and I went to Ford Field, and they still had a picture of Matt Stafford, you know, on the wall. This was only, like, uh, two weeks before, <laughs> um, you know, the first preseason game. So everybody here was still, you know, you could tell that, you know, his impact is huge. He left a, a very large uh, impact here. And I think, you know, for golf to come in, it's still weird to see kids walking around the facilities and walking around, you know, the um, arenas at preseason games with the number 16 jersey instead of number nine. I mean, because he put in a lot of work, 12 seasons with one team, you know, he obviously was a fan favorite. So it's still kind of weird, but I think golf is finding his way. Um, he's been a little shaky, but partly partly because the receivers have been very inconsistent so far. Uh, TJ Hawkinson hasn't played in the preseason. So it hasn't been, um, we haven't really saw this team at full strength just yet. So um, it's still kind of a wait and see, but yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely weird without, without Matthew Stafford. But I think everybody, um, I could probably speak for the fan base and still rooting for Matthew Stafford to do well in L.A. Eric Woodyard, ESPN Lions reporter, is with us here as we go camping with the Lions. A follow-up on that, Jared Goff, how is he handling it? Because it's always difficult to get traded and to go somewhere and not be sure how much you're wanted and, and how you'll be received, but especially because the fan base really did love Matt Stafford and there was so much enthusiasm from the other side about getting Matt Stafford and sending off Goff. How is his mentality, his confidence, everything seemed so far? I think from the outside looking at his confidence is good. You know, he's in a situation with people he's familiar with, you know, coming in with Brad Holmes as the general manager. Obviously, he had experience with bringing golf into the league in L.A. So I think it's, it's such a new regime, regime that um, it's like he's starting fresh. So I think, you know, mentally, I think he's in a, a good place. Um, you look at even the offensive coordinator and Dan Campbell, you know, they kind of included him in the process of developing this offense. So it's really on him. If he succeeds or if he fails, you know, he has input on his team, which I think um, in L.A. at times, he, he he probably didn't feel that way. You know, obviously he didn't have the greatest relationship with McVay at the end. And I think it's kind of totally different. You know, Dan Campbell is bringing a new swag. You know, everybody, the whole coaching staff is new, a lot of former NFL players. So it's like a whole new situation. And from the outside looking in, it looks like he's ready to go. I know he got some swaggy Jordan cleats. He's been wearing some, some uh, kind, of <laughs> kind of Lulu blue and silver. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> Jordan cleats he's been wearing. I think that a 10, the Jordan 10s, and that's been cool. So it's been, it's been. Uh, I think he's in a great place mentally. It's Spain and Fitz, solo Spain for most of the night. Fitz is popping in whenever his phone works. Eric Woodyard, ESPN Lions reporter, is with us now on the Goodyear Hotline talking about Lions camp. You know, one of the things that Dan Campbell's had to deal with is some 
uh, public relations related conversations based on some decisions he's made, not just the quotes, but, you know, he cut 17 year vet Don Mulbach on his on his 40th birthday. Um, he had to talk about the decision to dismiss the head athletic trainer, Dave Granito. There is a controversy, a, a really tragic one on uh, their former cornerback, now former Alex Brown, who has charges stemming from a car accident that injured his teammate, has been cut by the by the team. How has he done so far dealing with sort of just media questions about serious stuff like that? And and does it feel like he's got the team on his side when it comes to saying goodbye to trainers and longtime vets and dealing with this controversial stuff? Yeah, I think he's handled it well, and I think it is because he hasn't BSed around it. He's came right out. He's addressed it, you know, and that's goes over well in Detroit. The mentality in Detroit is Detroit versus everybody. They don't want to see somebody come out and try to candy coat things. Address it right up front, and you don't have to deal with it again. If you don't, if you answer it straightforward, you won't have to deal with it again. Obviously, the Mulebag situation was really tough, but he came out. He was empathetic. The guy was almost emotional because they were teammates as well. I don't know if you guys knew that, but they were teammates in Detroit as well uh, when when uh, Dan Campbell played as well. So he had a great working relationship with him and a great friendship with him. But business is business, and I think that's the business of football, unfortunately. Now, I think it was cool to let him go on his birthday. No, but I think – the way that he did come right out and address it. Uh, you can do nothing but respect that. You don't want nobody to come in and BS around. And, you know, he knows when it's time to play, and he knows when it's time to really address these issues. And so far, um, he's came right out and just owned up to him. Eric Woodyard talking lines with me here. Sarah Spain on ESPN Radio. A lot of times when I have the local folks on, I like to ask them about something that hasn't gotten national. Is there a position battle, a, a weakness at a certain position, or maybe a strength that everyone's talking about locally and you haven't really seen a lot of the national folks picking up on it? I think a couple of different stories. Um, I would say, I mean, everybody knows about the receivers. This is like a no-name court. Uh, a lot of people don't know who <laughs> who's even going to be the top guy right. at receiver. So I think that's been the biggest battle is figuring out who's going to be the top guy. It's looking like Tyrell Williams. And uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, Khalif Raymond, those are some guys that sticks out. I think Amon Ross St. Brown has been very, very tough. He's gotten a couple of scuffles in uh, training camp, and he just has a mentality and a demeanor like he's been here before. Now, how well would he do this year? I'm not sure, but his work ethic has been phenomenal. The guy stays after practice every day, catches 202 passes on the judge machine. Um, his dad obviously was a former uh, two-time uh, uh, All-Mr. World, and his brother plays for the Green Bay Packers. So this kid, you know, he comes from a – family of athletes and he was raised uh in a unique way i think that's been a story another thing um at running at the running back position um deandre swift you know he's been mostly out for the uh, most most of the part of camp you know dealing with a groin injury so i think um, I'm, i'll be looking to see how he comes back because it's a lot of expectations the lions have had the longest drought of not having a thousand yard rusher so um it's not a good sign i guess when you see your guy the top guy, you know, DeAndre Swift kind of battling with his groin, but I think the Lions are trying to manage it well to make sure he's 100% when the season starts. Uh, but everybody everybody here feels like this is the year that somebody has to break out, especially with an additional game. You know, this could be the year that, you know, somebody goes for 1,000. That hasn't happened since Reggie Bush in 2013. That's crazy if you think about that. <laughs> yeah, listen, Eric, I don't think it's ever a good sign to see anybody fighting with their groin, but especially uh, one of your top running backs that you expect to get. Yeah. A ton of carries. Uh, like you said, receivers, a question mark. So that run game is going to have an outsized role and will be tough probably for Goff to adjust to a new place, new system, and be working with an unproven core. 
Uh, we need to get a prediction from you. And I recognize it is early. There are injuries and trades and other things that could still go down before the season gets started. But a 17-game season, remember that. Uh, there will be a prize for the reporter who most accurately predicts his or her team's season record. What do you got for the 2021 Lions? I'm going to be extremely optimistic. Mm. Um, I know the Lions are, uh, I believe the odds are for them to win five games. I'm going to go 17. I'm going to go 17. I think right. I think the enthusiasm, I think it might be some injuries. I think anything can happen. And I, I'm, I'm going to go over. I, I just think it's a different vibe here. Nobody's expecting these Lions to win a Super Bowl or anything like that. But I'm going to say seven. That might be overdoing it, but hey. Let's 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 go all in. Let's just have some fun. I'm gonna say seven and ten. You're gonna be the grand marshal of the parade that they have for a seven win season. I'm gonna say that right now. If they go seven and ten, there will be a parade and you will be right in front. Hey Eric, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Eric Woodyard, ESPN Lions reporter, giving you the straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. I guarantee some of you out there are like, that is not the straight talk. 7 to 10, that's not straight talk. But I like the enthusiasm. I like the optimism. You need it. God knows you need it. If you're going to cover Detroit or be in Detroit, that Lions team uh, looking for some sunshine, maybe Dan Campbell is the answer. Jury's still out. Definitely personal jury still out. It's Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain most of the night coming up. An ESPN radio host returned to the court. And some friends of the show got an incredible honor. We'll get into all of it next here on Spain and Fitz. Hurricane Henri making things tough for Fitz Lightning. He is in a house that he was bailing water out of all day. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. It must suck. I mean, truly brutal. Uh, Fitz trying to get the water out of his house all day. And then right before we try to start the show, communication just not working well in a waterlogged house. So mostly sort of solo Spain tonight, Spain and Fitz. But he'll be popping in later to do some more NFL talk. And I also have some bad news for him about his diet. Uh, he's been clinging to the idea that he could just vacillate back and forth between a health nut and a guy who eats uh, sugar-covered sugar. Uh, but I've got some bad news for him, and I have to break it to him later. We also asked you on Twitter, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, how we should pick the final member of our Fantasy Football League. We're going to have one listener member join us that we haven't selected yet, so go let us know how we should do it. You know, best league name, best Bears or Raiders-related fantasy team name, just straight-up bribes. We're open to all of it, the last one especially. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed with your thoughts on that fantasy football league. Uh, wanted to get into a couple stories that hit close to home this weekend that were pretty exciting. And all of them happened to relate to women's hoops. And we're going to do it the way we do things around here when we got a lot to get to. Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. That's right. We're going to start with a very hearty congratulations and welcome back to Cheney Ogumake, our colleague here on ESPN Radio, my colleague on all things ESPNW, our all-around superstar, Grubhub commercial-making, uh, just Twitter and Instagram thirst trap posting superstar, who, in case you didn't know, is a basketball player first and foremost in the WNBA, but unfortunately injuries had sidelined her for a stretch. She returned to the court for the Los Angeles Sparks, and it was her first time playing since May. 
Sparks won the game 86-83 against the Liberty. She had six points, but back out on the court with her sister, NECA. Uh, NECA also sidelined for a couple months because of a knee injury, so they get back out on the court just the fourth time that the Ogumakes have gotten to hoop together this season, and I loved reading a great story from Michelle Vopel, who does great work on women's hoops for us on the .com, about just how much it meant for her to be back. She said, people see me doing other things, but this is my heart and soul about playing basketball, especially playing with my sister and my sisters on the other team. The hardest thing was just being patient and trusting in the process, as cliche as that sounds. So she's back playing basketball, uh, obviously still has all of her 11 T other jobs, but great to see her out there and great to see NECA back out there too. And the, uh, the sparks get the dub. So welcome back to Cheney. Um, we know by the way that, uh, you'll be too busy now playing basketball to do any more singing. I think that's what I was told. You only have a certain amount of time in your day for, you know, NBA analysis, radio show, WNBA. Singing is what I am told is the first to go, which is a real loss because we'll all miss out on this. I can hear him Oh, incredible. Yeah. Can we hear that again? I can hear him Oh, incredible. Just what a shame. What a shame. Yeah, the world will no longer be able to enjoy the stylistic sounds of Chanae singing is I think what that's called. Anyway, congrats on the welcome back to the court. Let's get to the next story. Quickies. That's right. Another welcome back. This one, a much longer time away from the court. Two-time WNBA MVP, friend of the show, Elena Deladon, back with the Mystics for the first time since October of 2019. Uh, Just to play in the first game since being victorious, since leading your team to a title, uh, they described it like Christmas, and I don't blame them. Deladon, an absolute game changer. She opted out last year in the bubble because of her um, frequent bouts with Lyme disease and just wasn't certain how she would react to the potential exposure to COVID. So she played it safe and was out, and then back injury that kept her out of the Olympics and has kept her out of the entire season. So her first time since being out uh, October 2019, and of course she was fantastic. She was holding back tears as she came out. A crowd was going crazy for her um, after the back surgeries, and they lost to the Storm, 85-78, but a great game for her. She looked a little slow starting out, just one of four from the field in the first half, um, but found her way, as she always does, and she finished with 16 points, 5 for 11 shooting, 3 rebounds, just 22 minutes. That minutes restriction was to be expected after all that timeout. But after some treatment and practice, they're going to see if she's back at it with a little bit more minutes to get tomorrow night when the Mystics are back in action. Uh, if, you, if you're not aware and you haven't watched, she is one of my all-time favorite basketball players, Dirk Nowitzki-esque. Uh, the big who can run the point, the big who can shoot the three, um, an absolute game changer, one of my favorite players all time. So welcome back, Elena. So happy to have you back. The game is better when you're in it. And and certainly the Mystics, 10th right now in the standings at 8 and 14, are going to need you back and, and, and as good as you've ever been to get back into a packed WNBA standings. But congrats. Welcome back. You could sing whenever you want, so I haven't heard you. I just know it's going to be better than Chanae. All right, next story. Quickies. All right, lots of basketball stuff because this weekend was the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, and it was chock full of friends of the show and ESPN. I'm going to start with Carol Stiff, who has been an ESPNW and and a women's sports champion at ESPN for 31 years. She was at ESPN for 31 years, just retired last month, 
and she led the programming efforts for NCAA women's basketball, WNBA, here at ESPN for decades, VP of programming and acquisitions when she ended up retiring. She also helped launch Jimmy V Week, the K Yao Cancer Fund, just a massive behind the scenes influence on women's basketball coverage and elevating it to television where we can all watch it and appreciate it and we can get it the exposure that it needs. Um, and of course, she used her speeches, continue to push for investment in women in the game. Um, so Women's Basketball Hall of Famer, Carol Stiff. Also, I'd like to point out that she was the one who got me on to 19 Crimes way before y'all did. That wine that has the uh, Australian penal colony exiles. And if you if you download the QR code, they talk to you on the bottle, which is especially effective if you've had several bottles before that one and suddenly the guy in the bottle's talking to you. Carol Stiff, a woman of many talents, knows how to knows how to recommend a fun bottle of wine and, of course, dominant presence behind the scenes for women's basketball for a long time. So she was inducted alongside uh, Sue Donahoe, Carol Callen, Debbie Brock, Lauren Jackson. Absolutely fantastic. Speaking of Australia, one of the all-time great international players. And two more friends of the show, Swin Cash, Tamika Catchings. Tamika, who, as I have to mention every time, I did block in high school uh, and then take that blocked ball all the way down the court for a layup. We're not going to mention all the points she scored in that game or every other game against me en route to uh, Ms. Basketball, Illinois. Uh, just remember that I, that I blocked her once. It's Payne and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain, sort of solo. Fitz will be back later. Tamika Catchings, I mean, 15 years in the WNBP, in the WNBA. She was MVP of the finals in 2012, helped him to the title. Multi-time, you know, four-time Olympic gold medalist and used to intern at the Women's Hoops Hall of Fame uh, making sure the exhibits were dusted and the floors were clean. So you love that full circle moment. And then Swin Cash, one of my all-time faves, friend of the show, four-time All-Star, three championships, two MVPs, NCAA titles, Olympic medals, works as the VP of basketball ops for the Pelicans. Just an example for so many. And shout out to all those ladies. David Stern also, by the way, an inductee into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame for his incredible efforts to get the WNBA off the ground. Um, shout out to all of them. Congratulations on the honor. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, we're going to go back camping again, and this time it's everybody's cool, trendy AFC pick. We'll see if camp is bearing out those predictions. It's coming up next, Spain and Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz. Kind of solo Spain tonight here on ESPN Radio. Something's going on on the East Coast, and it's lightning is affected again. Uh, it's something. Something's going on. What's going on here? Hurricane! Oh, Henri. Here I am. That's right. Henri's really messing up the show. We're going to try to get Fitz back in a few minutes here to talk some more NFL. But in the meantime, I'm holding it down for Spain and Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And you can always hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Let us know what you think about our selection process for the listener who will be joining the Spain and Fitz Fantasy League. Gave you some options. At Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. Go check them out. While we wait for Fitz to keep bailing water out of his home, Daniel Popper, who covers Chargers for the Athletic, is going to join us here. And we're going to go camping. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz. That's 
That's right, we're headed to Southern California. Daniel, thanks for the time. It might just be that I'm here in Chicago where Justin Fields' frenzy is overtaking everything. But it feels like nationally there's less conversation about Justin Herbert than there should be. Is there enough hype about his season as as we approach uh, him with a little bit of experience under his belt this time? Yeah, I mean, I personally, from what I've heard here in uh, Los Angeles, there's a, certainly a lot of hype around Justin Herbert. Um, and a lot of that stems from the fact that there's a new head coach running the show in Brandon Staley, and with him comes a new offensive coordinator and play caller in Joe Lombardi. Um, and it's going to be really fascinating to see how this new offense takes shape with Justin Herbert at quarterback. Obviously, Joe Lombardi was the quarterback's coach in New Orleans with Sean Payton for a long time, decades. And he's bringing that passing offense to Los Angeles. Um, and obviously, Justin Herbert and Drew Brees are two different quarterbacks, especially the Drew Brees over the last five seasons of his career. Justin Herbert, obviously, a lot more mobile. Justin Herbert, obviously, a lot bigger. Uh, Justin Herbert, obviously, a lot stronger of an arm. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this deep passing game manifests with Justin Herbert at quarterback. I think it will ultimately look a lot more similar to the Saints offenses of the early 2010s when Drew Brees had more arm strength. But Brandon Silly said in a meeting with his players that the Chargers had in one of their promos for their new documentary series that, you know, we want to be – we want to push the ball downfield. We want to throw the ball downfield, and that's going to be a big part of this offense. And I think that is leading to a lot of excitement around Justin Herbert as he comes off uh, the offensive rookie of the year season. Certainly locally, very excited. He got MVP chance already in a preseason game. And you mentioned new coordinator Joe Lombardi and new coach Brandon Staley. Obviously, big fans so far. Uh, Brandon Staley describing his passes as feathery bullets, which I like. Uh, it's got a knack for the words there. Uh, what about the the, the first-year uh, performance from, from Herbert? Are they most focused on seeing improvement in? Yeah, so with Justin Herbert, it comes down to how good he was in two areas, two statistical areas that tend to be pretty volatile. He was excellent, excellent, excellent on third down, and he had one of the best under-pressure seasons uh, in recent history, actually the best under-pressure passer rating since Ben Roethlisberger in 2012, better under-passer rating than Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, or Aaron Rodgers have ever put up in their career. And those don't tend to be very sticky stats. You don't see a quarterback really be excellent on third down year over year, and you don't really see a quarterback tend to be excellent under pressure year to year. Um, so you're sort of an, anticipating a regression in those areas. So how does he combat that? Well, he has to be better in clean pocket situations, and he has to be better on early downs. And I think that's really what you're looking for from Justin Herbert if you want him to have the same type of season. He has to be better in those two areas. Um, now, in terms of the early down passing and being better in those areas, I think that they will have a little bit more success in that area because there's going to be more of an onus with this coaching staff on passing on first down and setting themselves up for better situations. A lot of the reason that Justin Herbert was good on third down is because he had to be. The Chargers had the 31st ranked rushing efficiency in the league, according to football outsiders. They had a really poor offensive line. They ever overhauled that offensive line this offseason. The idea is that with a little bit of a better running game and more passing, on early downs, that'll open things up for Justin Herbert, and that will lead to an improvement in that area. We're camping with the Chargers with Daniel Popper, who covers the team for The Athletic. He's here with me, mostly solo Spain here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, Obviously, Jalen Ramsey, Derwin James Jr., a big part of this defense. Uh, 27 games missed the last two years, though, for James with foot surgery and a meniscus tear. 
What are the expectations for those two guys as leaders of this D? Yeah, I mean, Derwin James, um, obviously, you know, missed all of those games over the last two seasons, and that's been a big reason why the Chargers haven't been successful. You know, former defensive coordinator Gus Bradley built his defense around Derwin James and then didn't have him out there. But to this point, Derwin James has been healthy, and he looks like he's going to be the centerpiece of this defense. Uh, He's calling the plays in the huddle, um, which is a little bit of a rarity. Typically, you'd have a Mike linebacker doing that, but Brandon Staley last year with the Rams had John Johnson calling the plays in the huddle. And this year he's having Derwin James do it just because he believes in his leadership and his communication. Derwin James is going to be on the field. And you're already seeing the type of flash plays that made him an all-pro as a rookie. Um, You know, he went head-to-head with George Kittle uh, when the 49ers came to practice in Los Angeles on Thursday and Friday. Um, And in Friday's practice, uh, he picked off Jimmy Garoppolo at the goal line while defending George Kittle and returned that for a pick six. So, I mean, if the Chargers are going to be playoff contenders this year, then Derwin James is going to have to be that all-pro level player, and that starts with him staying on the field. The Chargers have taken a cautious approach with him. He has not played in the preseason and will not play in the preseason. The goal, of course, is to get him to week one healthy for the first time since he was a rookie in 2018, and so far so good on that front. And in terms of his on-field performance, he's been, ever, he's been as advertised so far in training camp. Spain and Fitz, we're talking about the Chargers with Daniel Popper of The Athletic. I've been asking folks, you know, what stories don't make national that are really dominating headlines locally. Are there position battles, strengths, weaknesses, issues that are really talked about at camp that haven't made it through to the national coverage? Yeah, not the sexiest headline here, but the Chargers do have a kicker battle going on in camp. And, you know, that's something that's not really talked about in the preseason. Uh, but when push comes to shove, you need a reliable cooker, kicker to win games. Um, you know, Michael Badgley is the incumbent, um, but he has struggled in his career on kicks outside of 45 yards. He's 7 for 18 in his career on kicks of that distance, um, and that's a major concern. So they brought in Tristan Viscaino, spent some time with the Bengals and the 49ers last year, has a bit of a bigger leg, um, and they've been going back and forth. Tristan Viscaino had the lead for a period of time and looked like he was was a shoe in for that spot, but he had a rough practice against the 49ers. Michael Badgley comes out, has a great week of practice, and then makes a 50-yard field goal in the preseason game on Sunday, shows some extra oomph on his kickoffs <laughs> with two touchbacks. So that is a, a really important battle for this team. I mean, the Chargers, anyone that's been around this team or lives in this area knows that they have had some kicking woes over the course of their history. Um, so getting that position figured out is going to be absolutely crucial for this team, especially because they had one of the worst special teams groups in the history of football outsiders efficiency rating last season. Last year, the team was five and seven in games decided by eight points or less. They just changed the outcome of those and they're a wild card team. What are the expectations locally for them? I mean, expectations are sky high. Um, you know, the, the biggest weakness Achilles heel for this team over the last two years. And the reason they didn't really meet expectations was their offensive line. They just didn't have the talent up there, whether it was in pass protection or run blocking general manager, Tom Telesco finally gave in and did what he needs to do to overhaul that unit. They go out and they sign one of the best centers in football and Corey Lindsley. They signed two starting guards and they draft the starting left tackle. So they have four new starters up there. And I think a lot of fans and people in the area look at that and say, okay, this is what has been prevented the chargers for making the playoffs and being a contender recently. And now we've got that fixed, but I worry about the depth behind it. And I always try and be the voice of reason for people around here. And one in, they're sort of one injury away from having uh, you know, a weakness on the offensive line again. But I think that 
overhaul and those moves this offseason have really led to a lot of excitement. And then obviously you got the quarterback situation figured out. One of the rising stars in the league who's expected to take a jump in Justin Herbert. So excitement is high and for the most part, for good reason. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, talking to Daniel Popper, who covers the Chargers for the Athletic. Before I let you go, I need to see how that excitement turns into a record. Give me a prediction. 17-game season. What do they finish? Nine and eight. I play it safe every single time. I play it safe every single time. Yeah. So, ultimately, I'm not as high on this team as a lot of national people are. And it's because I have seen what happens when injuries occur and you don't have the depth to weather those injuries. That, if I could point to one thing that has prevented the Chargers from being a contender in recent seasons, it's that. And, yes, have they improved the offensive line in terms of their starting group? Yes. Are their starters across the board excellent? Do they ha- yes. Do they have one of the best receiving groups in the league? Do they have Justin Herbert? Do they have an excellent defense on paper with the starting group? Yes. Those are all yeses. I worry about the depth. And injuries happen in the NFL, and if you don't have the depth to overcome those injuries, that's how you end up missing expectations. So – Nine and eight. I think they'll be in the mix playing meaningful games in November and December, but I don't think that they're going to be an 11 plus win team like some people did. Wow. Okay. We're going oppo from our last guest who uh, inexplicably had the lions at seven and 10. So uh, we'll see, we'll see who's better, the optimistic or the cynical. Hey, Daniel, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Daniel Popper brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, more take, some good, some hot, and hopefully fits next. Oh, the angst is real here in Chicago. We were hyped about preseason game number one, and I told everybody to settle down a little bit. It's just the preseason. Let's get excited. Let's, you know, not get our panties in a bunch about it. And now we're going to lose our minds about Mitchell Trubisky coming back. Well done on the rejoin, by the way. And I actually agree with the person who said that. It would be such a Chicago Bears thing, and I've said this. If Mitch Trubisky goes somewhere, gets a different set of coaching, and he's fantastic. I don't think it's going to happen. Football IQ is not there. Always had some good physical ability. That showed up in the preseason game. But I feel okay about where the Bears are with Justin Fields, despite the fact that everybody's talking about the decision-making from the Bears. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain. Fitz is back. Yeah, all right, there we go. You're back for a whole segment about the Bears because I'm fired up to talk about it. And it's all anyone's been talking about today is how the Bears are handling their quarterback situation brought into extra focus when one Maserati Mitch came in and torched the number one defense. Uh, But the focus still on the offense for the Bears. And we're going to turn this into our second edition of the day of Good Take Hot Take. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes. takes. Just the damn ball and let him decide. That's not the Greenway way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. We got a lot of folks taken on the Bears, and let's start with the man making the decisions himself, Chicago Bears head coach Matt Nagy. Now, one of the interesting things, Fitz, about the team is that, of course, there are differing desires at many different levels. There is a a GM in Ryan Pace, who, by the way, would probably be pretty happy if Mitch went and did great somewhere else and Justin Fields did great here, and he could say, yeah, I was right about both of them. It must have been the coaching. But Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are trying to hang on to their jobs. Many people thought they were out after last year. They eked into the playoffs. We all remember Mitchell Trubisky, the Nickelodeon player of the game. Unfortunately, that didn't result in the win for the Bears in the playoffs. Nagy and Pace are back. Their timeline is very short. The potential timeline for Justin Fields is very long. 
And so for Nagy, he said outright, I'm more interested in the success of Fields long-term and this team long-term than right away protecting my job. Andy Dalton is our starter. He doubled down on this Saturday. The stock of, of Andy for us is going to be something for us is, is seeing what he does during the season. You know, that, that's how we got We got to be able to see what, what can Andy do during the season with this team and with, with these guys. Um, that has been our plan this whole entire time. I truly understand the want to, for people to want to see more Justin and, and all that. I get that. Um, but we also understand where we're at and, and how, what the true plan is. And, and all we can do is ask Justin to keep playing, and he's doing it, and Andy to keep playing, and Nick to keep playing. All right, Fitz, good take or hot take that they got to see Dalton in the regular season? Yeah, I think that's a hot take. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that Dalton's not the answer. I'm just saying that why do you need to see him in a game that counts to understand whether or not he's the answer? Like, I, I, this should come down to how guys look every single day in practice, who puts them in the best situation to win, and how they feel about their team today. So if you're not seeing it, are we just presuming that suddenly the light will go off for somebody like Andy Dalton in the regular season? Like, that seems like a big leap for me. So. I think the concept of we've got to see it in the regular season before we care about it seems to be just misguided to me. It's a hot take. I'm going to go hot take too. I don't necessarily disagree with the idea of starting Andy Dalton, but I don't think you need to say that that's what needs to be seen in order to make that decision. I think you're right. You hopefully should be able to tell from camp, from joint practices, from everything you could see in meetings and film sessions, who is your guy, or you need to just admit to yourself that you already made your decision, and it's going to be Andy Dalton, whether that's because you promised him, which would be a terribly dumb reason to make that decision, or because you want to protect Justin Fields early on, which is fine with me, but deciding that you need to see Andy Dalton, uh, the guy you have seen already for years in the regular season and not Justin Fields in the regular season, seems a bit backwards. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, were presented by Progressive Insurance. Doing a little good take, hot take, Spain Bears edition, I suppose, is what we're doing right here. Now, Max Kellerman is one of the few that I have heard nationally saying he believes that it's okay for Justin Fields to sit. Andy Dalton, the Red Rifle, he was once a good quarterback, right? He's still serviceable. Right now, if I'm the Chicago Bears, he's a tackling dummy. He's a tackling dummy until we get that offensive line straightened out. Sorry, that's what I'm doing. Because you can... And I know Fields gives you the best of Trubisky and Foles. He can outrun the, the defenders, and he can throw the ball down the field, right? So behind a bad offensive line, he is safer than, say, Nick Foles. And you can still win, unlike with, say, Mitch Trubisky. But because of all that, I am not getting that kid's head knocked off. That is a terrible line protecting the passer. I want to see them get continuity, build that up, let, let fields get even better, more consistent, and then I'm making the switch, and I'm not looking back for 15 years. Fitz, good take or hot take that the tackling dummy should be Dalton? Yeah, I, I think that's actually a good take from Max. I mean, if you think that the offensive line, like this is no different than what we talked about for Joe Burrow, somebody that I think was putting himself at risk just being out there last year behind that Bengals offensive line. So I'm all in for protecting your quarterback. If you think that the situation around fields isn't best for the development of fields, you don't put fields in. So I'm all in for that. Yeah, I agree with you. So let's get to the other one. Justin Fields should start. Orlovsky. I would sit there as a coach and go, I can help a bad offensive line more than I can help a bad quarterback. 
As a coach, I can sit there and, and scheme up to help a bad offensive line. Quick game, RPOs, utilization of the run game, utilization of the quarterback run with the young athletic quarterback, max protection, play action pass, change the launch point. I can do all those things as a coach to help a bad offensive line, which the Chicago Bears have. I can't do that much as a coach to help a bad quarterback. All and right, that's another right reason there. why. Just I think he's making a lot of sense, but Fitz, I don't know if it's as simple as saying, you could do a lot for an offensive line and not a lot for a quarterback. Feels like you could make a lot of the same decisions on the opposite side, too. So for right now, I'm saying hot take. And I think that Justin you're, Fields should sit. Fitz going to join us a little bit later. Right. Coming up, a tragic story out of Miami. We'll get into it next. It's Spain and Fitz, sort of Spain solo, but we're going to try to grab Fitz for the last segment of the day. I still got to break that news to him about his terrible diet. New research coming out, going to break his heart. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive. All guests appear via the Goodyear hotline. Joining us now there is ESPN investigative reporter Paula Levine, friend of the show, always coming on to talk about dark subjects, Paula. We got to get you on sometime just to talk about your favorite 80s movies. Uh, if you like costume parties, do you have any dogs? Unfortunately, you are back to talk about something. All of those. A really, a really good. Glad to hear it. Uh, a really tragic story, but it feels like ESPN's reporting and your work, in addition to others, really pushed for what could be a cathartic closure to a, a long-held mystery here. Uh, the arrest of a former Miami Hurricanes football player in connection to a 2006 shooting death of teammate Brian Pata. So this is 15 years after the crime and nine months after you pointed out missteps, pushed for the investigation to either be renewed in, in, in interest or, or at least to release records. Can you take us through where this all began for ESPN in terms of this investigation? Oh, wow. Yeah, this is an interesting story, Sarah. So uh, oddly enough, um, this started back in 2017 when the Miami-Dade Police Department actually came to ESPN to do a story on this. I mean, it had been uh, you know, 11 years at that point, they um, they were hoping that if they did something like maybe a feature on college game day or something like that, that this would generate interest in the case. And so my colleagues, you know, Dan Aruda, Scott Frankel, Ben Weber, they started taking a look at this and realized pretty quickly that this was worth more than a short feature piece, that this was something that we really needed to dig into. And as they started doing interviews, I got brought on board, uh, ESPN.com writer Elizabeth Merrill got brought on board, and we were still in sort of a positive relationship with the, with the Miami-Dade Police Department, but it was when we realized that they weren't telling us the full story, and we really pushed to get the full police report from the, the investigation that Things got a little, things went a little uh, adversarial, let's say, to the point where in March of 2020, ESPN filed a lawsuit against the Miami-Dade Police Department, obviously changing our relationship there a little bit. And, you know, through the pandemic, everything, we finally got to um, taking them in, in these court proceedings last summer. And that, Sarah, is where things really changed because for several years, the police had been telling us that they had no one suspect, no one person of interest. There were all these theories as to what could have happened with, you know, with Brian Pata and people that he had 
interacted with in his past. I mean, there were fights at nightclubs that, that, you know, there were threats made. There were some issues that he had selling cars. There were stolen rims thing. There were actually two alleged confessors um, that, that were, you know, written about. Um, but a lot of the reporting, even, even at that time, was, and a lot of the evidence was really sort of pointing to the former teammate, Rashawn Jones. And it was during this court testimony that in order for the police to argue that the case was still active, they had to say, look, you know, we're, we're, getting, we're getting very close to this. And, you know, by the way, we actually do have a prime suspect. We actually have someone that we came close to making an arrest of several years ago. And although they didn't name Rashawn Jones specifically in their testimony, they referred to records that pertained to him as records pertaining to their main suspect. And then also there were like a hundred different people that they interviewed and each person had what was essentially a cover sheet with his or her name on it. Rashawn Jones's cover sheet was the only one that said suspect. So we go forward with this. We don't get all the records we want, but we get this major admission during the testimony the piece comes out in November of last year, and it really holds the Miami Dade Police Department to task for some of the missteps that they made. We hear nothing from them ever since then. They, you know, our relationship obviously had soured by that point, not getting any updates. And then this arrest comes out, and uh, I got to tell you, I mean, for for me and for all of us who worked on this, this was a real surprise. That that you know we get this announcement that Rashawn Jones, after all this time, gets arrested on Thursday. Paula Levine, ESPN investigative reporter, with me here on Spain and Fitz. Yeah, surprise, but also I'm sure validating for the years of work, not just uh, last year's story and and obviously what it might have inspired in terms of renewed interest in in truly investigating the case. I know some new uh, police officers were assigned to it. Um, the officers who had been working on it either retired or had been removed, and that allowed for some for some new folks. And I would imagine that renewed focus came from the lawsuit from ESPN and the story that you wrote. It feels like, though, so much of the initial records that you were able to get your hands on had so many elements, including, like you mentioned, the fact that these two had had uh, fights before, that he wasn't at the team meeting he claimed he was at, that he had... Uh, you know, the bullets were from the same caliber of gun that someone identified him twice, both right afterwards and years later in a lineup. All of that leads me to question. And of course, that was the result. That was the reason for your investigation as well. Why do we think that there was so much information and evidence and for so many years it felt like there wasn't a, a real urgency? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I mean, all of those things you outlined that pointed towards Jones were pretty much things that the police had back in 2006, 2007. And I can tell that they did some re-interviews. Like you mentioned, they, they interviewed that witness again last year who, again, picked Jones out of a lineup. But the big question is, if, if they had all of this, you know, why did it take them so long to do this? Now, I've got to think that there is something else. And they even, uh, they make reference to this in the uh, arrest warrant that they put enough forward, all of the stuff that you just mentioned, to get to the point where they had probable cause to make the arrest. And that this is not all of the, 
uh, evidence that they have. So we don't, I don't know exactly yet what it is, what if there is another substantive piece of evidence that they were able to find once we prompted them to go back and take a closer look at this. Was there, and this would be, I, was, I would see it as a huge success if this were the case, you know, did, did our story, did the attention that we brought to this talking about the pain and the anguish that the family had been suffering for all these years, did that prompt somebody else to come forward mm. and give them the, the last piece of the puzzle that they needed? I would love for that to be the case. And, and I hope that, and I suspect we will, as the case goes through the court and, and more, they have to turn over more of their evidence uh, and it becomes public that we'll find out. Paul Levine, ESPN investigative reporter with me here on Spain and Fitz talking about uh, the arrest of former University of Miami football player Rashawn Jones on a first-degree charge of murder in connection with the death of his teammate Brian Pata in 2006. I can't imagine the reaction from some of the teammates. Now, it certainly sounds like many that they interviewed, including, I'm sure, teammates and friends, knew that they had fought multiple times, that Pata was dating Jones's former girlfriend, that there were reasons to perhaps uh, sus- suspect that he might be involved. But to find this out all these years later... Um, just shocking for those who were in that room with both of them. And there's a story circulating of the team huddled around a, a giant kind of art, like rendering uh, of, of Brian Pata, and they're all eyes closed, arm in arm. And the one player with his eyes open in the picture is Rashawn Jones, almost staring down at the image of Brian uh, I can't imagine that. And Paula, you're reporting also that he's been working with kids predominantly in the last few years. Yes, Rashawn Jones. Yeah, that we, well, he had posted online that he was he was trying to coach uh, young players, and there were some photos with him doing that. Um, but yeah, and and he, you know, that photo that that you referenced. I mean, that was a few weeks after he was still on the team, and it, it's yeah, it's indeed true that that he. Yeah, I've seen that picture. It's funny you mentioned that. Like, as people have been tweeting it out, they've been blowing it up and pulling up the image of him being that the, the having that sort of different look from everybody else. And it's yeah, it, all these years, the teammates, many of them, and, and they talked to us, they talked to police. You know, mentioned that they had this history, and, and many of them, you know, always kind of wondered if it was Jones. You mentioned that they were that they were shocked. I would say for a number of them, uh, when they finally saw that this arrest happened, from what they said to us, it was more that they were saddened. You know, they were sad that this was that this was indeed the case, that yeah. that it could have been someone so close to them, so you know, someone within the team, within the you know family, so to speak, who who could have done this. I think for for many of them, if that does indeed turn out to be the case, that that it's it's really disheartening. Agreed. I can't imagine that. And especially after all these years, there must be some relief for Brian's family that there might be some closure. Um, of course, just the charges filed now, plenty yet to to happen. But, Paul, I'm sure you take great pride in the rest of the reporters who worked on this. And uh, it's really important that we keep doing this kind of work at ESPN and across sports journalism. So appreciate you spending some time with us talking about it. Thank you. I couldn't agree more. Appreciate Next it. Next time, costume parties. All right. I'm <laughs> Costume parties, 80s movies. I'm there for you, Sarah. Awesome. I'm there for you. <laughs> Thanks, Paula. <laughs> you um, bet. Uh, Paula Levine is so fantastic, by the way. She covers all of that stuff so well and with such great care and attention. So uh, that's that's important stuff. 
uh, go read go read her work there. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Coming up, Fitz returns to get some very bad hot dog news. Next. Yeah, I don't want to make jokes. Fitz's house currently full of water. Technology not working. Hurricane Henri bearing down. But so far, so good. You're not tasting metal, right, friend? Yeah, no, so far, so good, which would be good considering now we're talking water. So if we combine the two, it's really an electrifying evening. So, you know, <laughs> I'll take one or the other. Just standing around in some water waiting to see what happens. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and he's back. Uh, we got some quick hot takes on Monday Night Football. Should have mentioned that this was uh, now underway. Early hot start for the Saints, 14 nothing. Jameis Winston with 157.5 rating so far. Not so much for Trevor Lawrence, 59.7. It's preseason, and yet somehow Dan Orlovsky still enraged by the Jags play calling. Fitch, you got any hot takes? Yeah, so far, Jameis, by the way, a couple of dimes. Like, he's played really well. Taysom Hill's now in the game. They've, they've seen enough. I think Jameis just won himself the job. We should also remember it's against the Jags, right? And so, right, uh, you right, know, right. Trevor Lawrence can't play defense also. So this, the Jags are going to be woeful this year. Woeful. I, I think you're right. Did you say woeful or awful or both? I said woeful. I, I, I was trying to go with the fancier word than awful. Woeful and, well, yeah, I thought you said waffle. Uh, they're going to be waffle is what's going to happen to the Jags. Uh, Mina Kimes <laughs> also extending more apologies to the Saints wide receiver course, she had insulted them, and now Marcus Calloway is basically making her look silly. So the the apologies continue for Mina Kimes and that Saints wide receiving core. Again, it's the Jags and it's the preseason. Fitz thinks Jameis has earned the job. We'll see. We'll see. Winston nine of ten, 123 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Trevor Lawrence three of six for 23 yards right now. But that's enough about football. There are more important things to get to, like me preaching to Fitz about his terrible diet choices. Not because I'm a nag, but because I'm a good friend and I want him to live a long time. And he's not going to if he continues all the sugary garbage, according to a new research study. A nutritional index released today aiming to inform guidelines and help Americans be healthier and Eat better for the environment, climate change, and a stable earth, which is also important. And the index ranks foods by minutes gained or lost off of a healthy life per serving. This is aggressive, folks. This this study's kind of metal. It's not like this is good for you. It's like literally this is how many minutes you will not live. And uh, processed meats and sugary drinks were among the biggest offenders. Fits, 85 grams one serving, 85 grams, chicken wings, 3.3 minutes of life lost. A beef hot dog on a bun, 36 minutes lost, largely due to the detrimental effect of processed meat. Also, peanut butter or jelly sandwich, 33 minutes. Crazy. This raises a really significant question, though, for me, because as you know, I go like the world's worst eater and then the world's cleanest eater. So, like, am I doing damage that then I turn around and get it back? Like, is it, is, is it like the turbo button where I can only lose so many minutes and then my body rebuilds <laughs> itself for, like, the, the six months I eat broccoli and then all of a sudden, bam, it's right back to it when I'm back to the chicken wings nonstop? Like, I, 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 need, I need checks and balances here. I think I'm mostly concerned about your body needing to decide 
it, you know, every other day, whether it's going to be only the good die young or wants to live in a Mediterranean colony of old folks. Like you're not you're not giving your body consistent signals about how you want to go out. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, definitely. I'm like the guy that's like super into her, then not into her and then like calls her and then doesn't call her. Like that's yeah. where I am with what I put in my body. A hundred percent. Like my body doesn't know where we stand in this relationship. And I don't know, depending on the minute, the day, and I'm probably not doing right by either of us, but <laughs> feels good in the moment. Like, that's where I am. I just want to say that it, there is a chance that p- peanut butter and jelly might have just gotten redeemed because I'm going off a story by the New York Post, which is my first problem, right? I probably should find another source that broke down this nutritional index. It's not the Post's research. It's just the story that's making the headlines. But I think the PB&J might be good for you. I'm going to have to assume that that's based on a non-sugary jam and peanut butter and on a healthy piece of bread. But yeah, it says in this other, it's the language that they used in the post story. It was a little confusing. Those of you who enjoy peanut butter and jelly sandwiches will add 33 minutes to your healthy life. That's good news, Fitz. You like like those nights that I have, like, yeah, like if I have like too many, you know, Flintstone vitamins and then I have like four crustables. So like I just added two hours to my life. I don't know if a crustable is exactly the same. <laughs> I, I mean, check out the processed uh, nature of that. I think they mean a good old natural PB&J uh, made a specific way. I, well, I have to ask, and, and I mean this genuinely, because as I was reading this, I was, of course, feeling very superior because, as you know, I eat all vegetables, some fruits, nuts, grains, etc. I'm a, I'm, I'm a vegetarian, and I don't like to eat a lot of processed foods in general, even things that are, are plant-based or don't contain meat. So I was feeling pretty good about myself, but it's the stuff I already knew about, which is, you know, I'm doing right by my body. Also, 33% smaller dietary carbon footprint if you just swap 10% of your daily caloric consumption from beef and processed meat to fruits, vegetables, nuts, legumes, seafoods. So you get 48 minutes per person per day. You can add 48 minutes to your life and then a 33% smaller dietary carbon footprint. So I feel good about that, but it also had me wondering, what if right in the middle it had taken one of my favorite things and just been like, yeah, this too, and I, would I have to have decided midway through that I don't care about the results? Whereas before, I'm like, wow, Fitz is going to hear this, and he's really going to start to change his lifestyle. No, I, I, you know, here's the thing. I think you, you're right about everything you just said. That you know, I'm, I'm relying on being so far the wrong way on all of this that like my insides become like formaldehyde or something like, I don't know, something that like, <laughs> like makes everything stone and then I'm good to go. Or I'm just trying to make sure like, I'm afraid my tattoos won't look good if I live to be 130. Ooh, and that's why out. I'm really worried. Like, you know, I just, I, I want to be, I want to be sensual when I'm 90. That's the important thing, but not, 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 a, not past a hundred. I'm sorry. Did you say sensual? Yeah. When I'm 90. Yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. sensual for a 90 year old. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, Sonny. You're in for a long ride. Oh, no, that's not the word I meant. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jay Spitz. By the way, everybody, of course, immediately taking this information about hot dogs cutting into your lifespan straight to Joey Chestnut and the rest of the competitive eaters. According to a one uh, fan's math, he took 1.9 days off of his life just in this year's hot dog contest. That's that's rough. That's That's really rough. Hashtag worth it. No, definitely not. <laughs> Lips and buttholes is what it's made of. 